Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verse 1 through 13, found in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 57. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Dear Father, let these words we are about to hear teach us how to live by faith and not by sight that we find strength and comfort in your promises and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose that way of your wisdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give the glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temples, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil has finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's good to see all of you here this morning, and for those of you who have joined us online, we are grateful that you would worship with us today. If you were here with us at our Ash Wednesday service just a few nights ago, we talked about a new uh, teaching series that we are calling, this season of Lent that we're in, we're calling it Walking the Path. And it's all about the choices that those of us who are disciples of Jesus are being called upon to take, called upon to make. And I encourage you, I want to encourage you, go to our website. If you are somewhat bereft of resources for Lent, 
I want to encourage you to go to the website and you'll find a lot of resources there and you'll see all the passages that we're going to be reading throughout Lent and you will also find a wonderful devotional that you can sign up for uh, that comes to us from the Biola University. And uh, there are just so many other resources out there that I want to encourage you to immerse yourself over these 40 days so that you can form your mind and your heart around this walking the path with Jesus. You see, our church has a very, very ambitious mission statement. And in keeping with the mission of our church, and the mission of our church has to do with knowing who Jesus is, growing in him, and serving and making disciples in Evanston, the Chicago area, and around the world. It's a very, very ambitious statement. I believe that this Lenten series that we're involving ourselves in will help us to at least discover one thing, that being a follower of Jesus is pretty complex, especially in today's world. It's always been complex, but it is very difficult. You know, we want to be witnesses for Jesus in the world. We want to be that light, that salt. And the question is, how well do we do that? How do we do that? And I'm telling you, if you just immerse yourselves in these texts over these 40 days, you will begin to, first of all, just see the complexity, but hopefully see a way forward. Because you see, for some of us who are disciples of Jesus, we're Christians, but we have limited our sort of, our understanding of Christianity to a certain day. And I'm not going to name the day, you know what day that is. And then we think we only have one choice. And the choice is, I just need to tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian, and, and that's the end of it. Sort of the label, just slap the label on, I'm a Christian. I'd like to suggest to you by reading these texts that it is so much more than a label. And, and, and why is following Jesus then so demanding? And this is my view, that when we commit ourselves to the way of Jesus, when we commit ourselves to following Jesus and, and, and giving ourselves over to him, we then will spend the rest of our time, the rest of our days on this earth, learning to do one thing, learning how to follow his way and not our way. I, I think in a very simple way, that's what makes it so demanding because we're used to sort of charting our own course and then every now and then ask Jesus to sort of course correct or give us some advice as we're following our way. The way of Jesus flips it around. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And that's the challenge for us as we follow him, laying aside our way and embracing his way. And I'm telling you, as all of us know from experience, that is very hard. It's very hard. And so one of the prayers, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, one of the things Jesus said as he was teaching them, he said, when you pray, also pray this, lead us not into temptation. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many times, how many times have you been tempted since today? How many times were you tempted yesterday? How many times were you tempted this past week? Think about that for a moment. Be really honest with yourself. You know, one of the reasons why I love to ask that question is because as human beings, we're so fond of separating ourselves, whether along racial lines or other types of lines, 
And we forget that at the core of our humanity, every one of us in this building, we're dealing with temptation. Whether you're rich or poor, black or white, whether you're from this country or some other part of the world, all of us, even the people who are traveling on Chicago Avenue right now, they're all facing some kind of temptation or some kind of test. From some of us, maybe, maybe we are being tempted to eat more when we said we would eat less. For some of us, maybe we're being tempted to shop 70% off when we said we were going to put a little bit more in the bank. Maybe for some of us, we, we promised ourselves and others that we would stop drinking, but we're finding that we can't and we didn't. Maybe for some of us, we promised people in our lives that we would stop working these insane hours day after day after day, but we continue to work these incredibly long hours. And for others of us, the temptation comes from the internet, from social media, and so many Americans today. And I saw an article this week trying to explain why so many of our teenagers are afflicted with a nervous tick. And they're associating it with this overexposure, this long, long hours binging on TikTok and on Instagram, and for some of us, visiting porn sites. The reality is, we're a community of strugglers. And we struggle to tell the truth about ourselves, and we struggle to tell the truth to others about who we really are. We struggle with issues of gossiping, we, we, we make promises that we're no longer going to use uh, nicotine or drugs, but these powerful habits, these powerful habits overrule our good intentions. I hope I'm not talking to myself this morning. What I want you to hear this morning is that the person sitting beside you and in front of you and behind you that that person is fighting a battle. You see, every temptation has a, a DNA signature. Whether you struggle with food, whether you struggle with drugs or sex or work, we're talking about the same struggle, and you see it there on the screen. James, and new um, adult class starting this morning on the book of James. James described it this way. He says, everyone is tempted by their own desire. We're enticed, we're lured away by desire or habits. So I want you to think about temptations, temptation as, as these doors. And every time we go through a door, we're making a choice, right? And every choice that we make carries consequences for ourselves, for people around us, family and friends, and of course, for our relationship with Jesus. And some of the doors we go through will diminish us and they will leave us powerless and filled with shame. And some of the doors we go through will build us up and strengthen us. And some of the doors we go through will inflict great pain or they may bring joy. But the question that we're all struggling with is, how do I know which door to go through? 
Especially when my desires and my habits gets all confused and tangled up in these doors that I need to go through. What I want you to hear this morning is that every, every temptation is really an opportunity to give over control of the self to some rival power that will either hurt us or help us. Jesus framed it this way. He framed it this way. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's one of the rival powers. And then Jesus says, but I have come to give you life. I have come that you may have life and live it to the full. So you have these two rival powers, and they're both offering these doors through which you can go through, and one of them leads to death, and one of them leads to life, and this is the power struggle that you see in Scripture between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Lucifer. And so we must choose, though. There's no neutrality, right? No neutrality. And the question is, which door? Which door do we go through? So what we're going to do very quickly before we come to the communion table is to look at Jesus and his temptation. And the wonderful thing is Luke presents Jesus to us as a very young man. He's 30 years old, full of life. And at least in these early sections of Luke, he seems to be enjoying what I call a string of unbroken mountaintop experiences. First of all, we see Jesus going into the waters of baptism, his cousin John baptizing him. And as he comes up out of the water, he hears these words of love and affirmation from his father, you are my beloved son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And what's beautiful about that is that Jesus hadn't done a single thing yet, and yet the father was saying, I'm pleased with you and I love you. Sometimes I wish I could get a do-over as a parent. I'm serious, where I could be more affirming and more demonstrative in the unconditional quality of love and less transactional. It's not too late, though. I, I still have my kids. They still like me, and I'm going to keep trying. On, on Sunday morning last week, we had this wonderful array of citizens of God's kingdom standing up here. And we baptized a few of them. And as I was baptizing them, the thought came to my mind that they're being baptized into Jesus. They're being baptized into the way of Jesus. And that is a huge thing to celebrate. And then the Holy Spirit fills Jesus up. I mean, boy, that must have been amazing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, some translations say he was led the, the, the essence of the Greeks suggests that he was thrust into the wilderness for the next 40 days. And that would be amazing to have face time with God, face to face with God in the wilderness. But while he's enjoying those moments, these moments of fellowship and intimacy with God, we read about this rival power source that comes along. And this source, as much as I'm calling it a power source, I'm not suggesting it is equal to God. But I want you to know, as Jesus says, this power source has the power to kill, to steal from you, and to destroy you. This power, this dark power that Jesus is telling us about is cunning. 
He's an ancient foe. He's won many victories over many victims. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, all the way forward to March 6th of 2022, we're not talking about a pushover here. This power source is a master at telling lies and distorting reality. And he says to sinners and saints, he says to sinners and saints, go through this door. There's no harm. You deserve it. You've worked hard. Enjoy yourself. This is America. Nobody's going to judge you. Go through this door. You deserve a little happiness. And this is where the struggle begins every day. And sometimes, truth be told, for all of us, including myself, we succumb to those overtures. And we go through one of those doors masquerading as a life-giving opportunity. And that's what's happening to Jesus in our text. He's now being tempted to go through three doors. And on the surface, and this is always the truth, on the surface, these doors seem harmless. They always are. And that's the reason why they're so attractive. That's the reason why they lure us, because they seem harmless. What were the doors? Let me suggest to you that these three doors could be summarized this way. They represent substitutes. That's why they're alluring. They actually do help us somehow in the short term to experience some thrill, some joy, some purpose. But in the end, long term, they represent substitutes for the one God as our source. So what the devil wanted to do was, Jesus, go ahead and supply your physical needs. If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And I've had the opportunity, really through this congregation, to visit this terrain where Jesus may have been standing on two different occasions. And some of you were with us on the last time we visited Israel. And if you remember looking out on the Judean wilderness, you see these white stones littering the landscape, and they look like bread. And especially if you've been fasting for 40 days, you know, suddenly you're hallucinating. And you're saying, oh, that's a lovely piece of bread. The devil comes up and he says, turn these stones into bread. A short-term sort of solution, a shortcut but long-term, what happens when we, when we supply our own physical needs without the aid of God, without the direction of God, we make the satisfaction of our sensual and physical desires our highest good. Jesus says, uh-uh. Man, people, do not live by bread alone. So there's something higher than bread. There's something higher than the physical. And I know in our culture today, we hear the big scream, the big scream. You can't stop people from being and doing what they want to do. And yet there is something higher than the physical. And Jesus nailed it from the book of Deuteronomy. We don't live by the physical alone. We don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word. And there's the highest good. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Seek the highest good. The devil didn't stop there. That didn't work. He said, well, okay, let me take you up to this high mountain, and I want you now to supply your spiritual needs. You have needs. You have spiritual needs. 
And you say, well, what is the greatest spiritual need that we have? The greatest, I think the greatest need that people have is the power to control their circumstances. And the devil says, look, all you have to do is just bow down, go through that door, bow down, worship me, and I want you to know I have the power. I have the authority. I can actually give you all of this in an instant. And what does Jesus do? Jesus counters that distortion by saying there's something higher than just my need for power. The highest thing that we could ever do with ourselves is to worship the Lord God alone and serve Him only. So that didn't work. So the devil takes him to Jerusalem, highest point on the top of the, of the temple, and says, well, Jesus, I want you now to supply your ego needs. I want you to jump from this high pinnacle. And by the way, the Bible says that if you jump, God's angels are going to show up and they're going to catch you before you hit the ground. And think about it, Jesus. Think about how people will just see you after that. You're, you're going to be king of the world. You're going to be so popular. People are going to say, there he is. That's the guy who did this daring thing. He jumped all the way down and God saved him. And that notoriety, that, that stoking the ego. And Jesus said to him, no, 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 no. Do not tempt the Lord your God or put him to the test. These, these three massive human voids that all of us have, by the way, and we're all trying to figure out how do we satiate those, those voids in our lives. And many of us are filling those needs without any help from God. The truth is, we were not created this way. Go back again to the, to the Genesis story, the, the origin story. We were not created this way. We were created whole. We were created uh, with, the, with the very life of God within us, where we found our highest good, where we found our greatest joy and our fulfillment in our Creator. But of course, that's been ruptured by rebellion and sin, and we find ourselves as restless people, distracted people, needy people, and the notion of finding joy in God seems so passe. Even after we become followers of Jesus, the battle continues. We still struggle. So these doors, they seem harmless on the surface. But what this dark power doesn't tell us is that when we enter one of those doors, we are actually we're actually rendering ourselves powerless, not powerful. We're actually harming ourselves, and we're not experiencing freedom. We're experiencing slavery. So what I love about the story here about Jesus is not so much the fact that he was tempted. Yes, he was tempted, but what I want us to see is the way in which he responded to the temptations. And I think if we can just deconstruct this, this, the way in which Jesus engaged with that dark power, maybe they can help us to fight our battles. So again, Jesus, the epitome of perfection, was tempted. And in the Christian church, we are nowhere near that level of perfection, but we are also being tempted. So, so would you take some hope in that? Jesus was tempted. We're going to be pummeled too. To be tempted is not a sin, right? To be tempted is not a sin. In fact, 
This may sound weird to you. I actually think there's an upside to temptation. Temptation, the word there can also mean to be tested, to be proven. And I'd like to know that before they placed this pulpit in this spot, that it was somehow tested so that the preacher who stand here wouldn't fall over on his or her face. That somehow this thing was tested before they released it. There's something good about being tested. It strengthens you. It purifies you. It puts you through the fire. You come out on the other end stronger. And I'd like to know that when we go through our time of testing, when we go through our temptations, that, that by the grace of God, when we walk away from those distortions, that we're actually getting stronger, something is being formed in us. So let's just very quickly think about as we overcome our temptations, as we overcome the test, let's just embrace the reality that life on planet Earth is resistance. It's resistance. Every day you wake up in the morning, you are entering an arena called resistance. Every inch of the Jesus way is contested. And that's why we're told that our struggle, our struggle, and I underline that word, <laughs> that's resistance. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with spiritual forces of evil. And then we're also told that we should resist the devil. So there it is again. We're struggling. We're resisting. We're standing against the forces that are dark, that want to bring us into powerlessness, that want to root us in defeat. We want to just acknowledge that, that life is resistance. Don't believe the lie that you are the master of your own life. We're all under orders to someone. And I want to choose every day to be under the orders of Jesus. Here's the second thing. All of life is formation. We're all being formed by the image. We're all being catechized by something that is absorbing our mind and our strength. So if you don't believe me, do an inventory of what you did with your time yesterday or last week. How much Netflix did you consume? Don't answer. How much food did you consume? How much money did you consume? How much pornography did you consume? What I want you to hear this morning is that we are being formed by the things we are, we're consuming. We are what we consume. On the other hand, Jesus says, I want your minds to be transformed, to have a renewed mind by knowing and doing God's will, to be to be consumed by knowing and doing God's will. That in itself becomes formative. Life is a choice. So as we think about temptation and the habits, because really what, what, what gives fuel to temptation are the habits around which we are catechized and form, then we must consider that we can model the way of Jesus. Model the way of Jesus. And that's what we see in the Scripture it's to deconstruct the life of Jesus and say, how did he do? What did he do? And this one is a big one for me. This validates this. 
that we're not made to be alone. And what the devil wants to do to you is to get you to think that you are your own person. You don't need anyone. You're isolated. You're a sitting duck, if that's what you believe. Strength in numbers. Communion and community becoming part of the fellowship of the tempted. And I'm a strong believer in small groups. And I'm a strong believer in face-to-face groups where we can then know and be known. And then this last one, that as we deconstruct what Jesus did, he's teaching us to understand this formula. That when we take our time and we spend some of our time in the presence of God with the Word of God, and we enter into the obedient struggle that Jesus calls us to, that is when we experience this victory over these triple threats that we see in Scripture. The world and all the distortions in it, the flesh. The flesh has to do with our own impulses, our own desires, and of course, the devil. So think about that formula, time spent in the presence of God, with the Word of God. And why do I say the Word of God? Because Jesus knew the Word of God. Jesus knew his identity. The devil planted, wanted to plant seeds of doubt. If you are the Son of God, Jesus wasn't having it. He had his identity in Scripture, in the presence of God, in the Word of God, and so his delight was to obey God. And in doing that, he didn't take shortcuts. He went all the way to the cross all the way to the cross. They killed him. They buried him. He rose again from the dead. I want to invite you into that way of Jesus. I want to invite you into that path with Jesus. It is hard. It is not for the faint of heart. I want to invite you to join us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. Amen.